Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Kelby Losack. Today, we are talking about 1991's 964 Pinocchio, a.k.a. Screams of Blasphemy. And we have a very special guest today. We have Barrett from the Contained Podcast. How's it going, man? It's good. Good. R- really glad to good. have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Cool. Yeah. No, Contain is uh, one of two podcasts that I listen to religiously. So this is big. This is cool. We're going to talk some shit. Yeah, man. No, I, I, I like your guys' stuff a lot as well. I, I'm a big fan of, of like Japanese movies, specifically, mm-hmm. you know, the cyberpunk stuff. But uh, I, I mean, I, I like everything from the noir stuff to the Pinko Aigu to the. I just think they make great movies. And I don't usually get to talk about canonical things that much because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just talk mostly about like contemporary art and stuff and this really lame intersection of art and technology that's taking place right now that uh, it's like, I don't want to talk about it, but it's like, it's forced its way into the conversation somehow. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm just, I'm stoked to do this. You told uh, you told Kelby about this movie. So, how did you originally discover Pinocchio? Well, it's kind of it, it's kind of weird because when I was eighteen, I was doing a lot of drugs, and one of the movies oh, yeah. I like to do drugs to was uh, Tetsuo Iron Man with my friends. So we'd put that on, and we put on Alarm Agents by Boyd Rice and and Douglas P. of Death in June. And, you know, this was like 2005. We're like 18, 19 years old. We're all, this was like the one year I went to art school or whatever. And it was like very, very cool back then to be transgressive. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. looked up to like Sterling Ruby and the Chapman brothers. And, you know, it, it wasn't like this... I guess the art world didn't it, it was like a little bit more tolerable of this kind of like edgy kind of behavior mm-hmm. I mean, one one of the kids in my class for his thesis he took a vhs video of himself shooting a pig in the head with a shotgun and just turned God it in damn. so it's like i mean like the shit you could get away with back then versus uh. now it, it's like it, so, I mean, basically, I just went down this weird rabbit hole where I started to, you know, I watched, like, Tetsuo Body Armor, which was okay. I mean, it, it doesn't even come fucking close to the first one. And I was just really interested in cyberpunk in general, you know, like uh, everything from John Shirley's Transmaniacon and uh, the Bruce Sterling books to H.R. Geiger's art. Um, and there's just something about cyberpunk. So I just kind of, you know, and back then you couldn't really, you know, you had to do some digging. Like it was not easy to find this movie specifically because mm-hmm. it had just been, you know, it was only, it wasn't even released yet actually on DVD because this was like 2006. So this was like a year. The first time I saw it, I actually had to see it as a, as a bootleg that I think a friend of mine ordered somewhere on the dark web. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that was basically my story with it. it was like 
you know, everything from Akira to Tetsuo to, you know, getting into to this stuff. And I really like the ending of this movie, and I like how it's this consistent on- onslaught. It's kind of like a Zulowski movie, like The Devils mm-hmm. or Possession or something like that. I like. Oh yeah, I, yeah. He's a he's a huge. Uh, that's uh, right. Uh, his biggest influence was Possession, with especially with the vomit scene in the yeah. subway. Yeah. 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 And so, it, you know, I I just like any movie that's incredibly chaotic that just keeps, you know, it's the it has just chaotic ambience to it where it's not just a narrative; it's like a actual feeling that it gives you because it's so relentless and immersive. And mm-hmm. you know, this isn't a movie that like a lot of people have seen. I don't think. Mm-hmm. No, I don't uh, think so. But the style is incredible, too. I mean, it all looks like, you know, 80 CDG stuff, you know? It, so right. there's, like this, there's, like, this high fashion element to it as well. It, it just draws on all these things I'm kind of interested in. And, um, and also, I think it's kind of pertinent, this whole notion of, like, the cyborg, you know, lobotomized memory losing sex slave you yeah. know thing yeah it's very relatable kelby what were your uh, initial impressions of this movie just the the hyper irrationality of not just the behavior of the characters but also like the the structure of it is just it it embraces nonsense to a degree that feels very reactionary to and i know at the time like it was reactionary because cyberpunk came out of this sort of relationship to you know this growing relationship between bodies and technology and like which has just grown in relevance since then and has gotten probably even scarier than any of them could have predicted but I like to be unsettled by things, and this was very. Th- this was pretty unsettling, especially the five-minute uh, scene of the chick eating her own vomit, and yeah, it was pretty gross. Yeah, I'm reminded actually of uh, in Gaspar Noe's Irreversible, in that opening scene in Latenia, the the rectum club, where all these dudes are having gay sex, and you know somebody gets their face bashed in with a fire hydrant. No put in this particular, uh, I guess, musical note. It's kind of like similar to the brown note, which makes you shit yourself. But it's just supposed to make you feel fucking really uneasy about the whole thing. Like queasy, vomitous, right? And I think like the soundtrack to this movie has a lot to do with that. Because like Tetsuo, it's a lot of screeching and clanging. And I don't know. Yeah, it just creates a vibe. It's really strange because I, I really like how you talked about the relationship between the body and technology. And, and I think, you know, and I know um, Shozen Fukui, he worked on Tetsuo Iron Man. So I think that there is this, I mean, it, like the kind of like body horror, uh, Ballardian thing about, you know, humans fusing with this kind of like, uh, machinic unconscious will that kind of subsumes you uh, it's it's a really weird thing 
because to me it's a, it's almost like the the de facto question ontological question of our time and so you brought up a really good point there uh it's you know i it, it it's very much like the question of like what does it mean to be human now like what what how do we define the human and so these movies i think they kind of showcase this you know collective memory holding of everything to where you know we need to rediscover the world you know a new world is born you know it's like the homeless girl in the movie she draw she's memory wiped too so she draws maps of the city to help her re remember and help her find her way again and i kind of see that constantly especially with the internet you know it's like people just mm. forget i think almost as big of a problem as not problem but a question of what does it mean to be a human i think it's what does it mean to remember you know because i think the the issue of consistent forgetfulness and forgetting has become another you know that's like a, a a second fold on top of that first one too to me at least and what it means to be to gain your memory back it's like you know as soon as the cyborg gains autonomy and re starts remembering things again pinocchio you know the main cyborg who malfunctions he's a sex slave and he can't it's it that's when you know the agencies go after him really so yeah, he becomes it. a yeah Oh, no, I was just going to say the whole thing about memories in particular um, being a fundamental question of these cyberpunk dystopias reminds me a lot of something that's been fascinating me recently where, where uh, you know, games and architecture act as these kind of external, they were external memory drives before computers existed, basically. Right. So it's this uh, idea that spaces kind of keep things in it. You know, in Ghost in the Shell 2, they talk about this a lot when they're going to this place called the Northern Territory. It's this big abandoned city. And they talk about how, you know, this was kind of man's attempt to externalize as much knowledge as they possibly could. And I think that in, you know, in Pinocchio, you see a lot of that kind of, I don't know, technological like sort of externalization like things are always coming out of people's people's bodies so i'm not really i don't know if that really relates to memory or not but it feels like there's maybe something there well i i love how the response to all of it at the end is to transcend like to maintain a semblance of humanity and autonomy the answer is to uh to kill what what caused all of this to begin with but to then embrace what you've become because of there's no return like there's right. no going back the answer is just rip your face off and you're the monster now yeah it's uh it's kind of amazing because you know pinocchio's like why won't you help me help me help me and they're and to see her rip her face off and she throws it kind of like a frisbee and it turns into this giant pizza then he goes and he rips her head off and puts it on his so they synthesize the two become one and that's a i think that's a very common theme with you know especially with like animes like geno cyber and uh neon genesis evangelion you know there's always this like broader question of 
this kind of like Hegelian universalist imperative towards the one, towards a kind of singularity. So they're really grappling with this materialist understanding of of the univer of the universal or the one. So it, it's kind of crazy because like all of these movies and shows, there's there's like a deeply platonic question that they're posing, which is, what is the one? Is it something you can avoid? Is it good? Is it bad? And these are really, I think, very complex questions that you know a lot of people in the West, you know, like our understanding of this shit is just so dumbed down. Uh, but they actually are are asking these very, like, what does it mean to ascend the human? Is it and you know all of the kind of questions that go along with that. You know, I think, I think this movie is taking a very neutral, like, it's horrific, but it's neutral because they're basically it, it implies that there's no use in fighting it, and, and I think that it's, you know, to me it's almost like the 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 fact that the characters have lost their memory and the kind of uh, oppression that goes with remembering things and having a kind of conscious I actually saw like a, a you know it's it's kind of similar to the like the way that these bureaucracies work like they don't want you to know they want to keep you dumb because and you want to stay dumb because that's how you keep your salary it, so it's it's strange you know it's it's a really weird thing well yeah cuz i mean we've exter- we haven't just externalized our memory we've externalized the the process of thinking which is what you see now with all this, you know, argument going on about misinformation, even though like nobody really has any good information about anything, especially when it comes to COVID. You're just basically the only people who have been right have been like the the keto bros, right? Pretty much from the very beginning, you know, who identified it as a kind of metabolic problem that needed to be fixed through diet and exercise. But like now it's not just covid stuff though right because like now uh, i saw recently that you know the u.s government is basically saying that uh russia is using crisis actors to fake videos of, of whatever right but like yeah this whole idea of you know we don't have to we don't have to think anymore because machines do it for us then you have to wonder about like you know who's controlling those those machines basically I don't think anyone's controlling the machines. I think that's, I think, again, this is kind of the reductive uh, problem with the way the West views the technology that it's actually created. You know, the, the Japanese, there was a, you know, moment in time when we thought that the Japanese were going to overtake us economically as the main de facto power, especially you know, with the microprocessing technology and the fact that Sony had been such a major, you know, force in consumer electronics for so long. Um, And it's just, I think it's a really weird question because I think the pro, I think a big problem, a lot of people, I don't want to say they're on the right. I I don't really know what to say is that they, they seem to think or locate certain phenomena that happens in the world they try to pin it on a person 
right? Yeah. Like they're, they're right. like they're not really interested in the in like a cybernetic understanding of the way power unfolds and the way power works, uh, because a lot of these people, like yeah, sure, they suck and we all hate them and you know everyone knows their shit, but they're kind of just like the human face that they've ripped off and and thrown onto this larger um rhizomatic process that kind of just use like they're the beneficiaries of it but they don't operate it it's pretty much like a lot of the stuff they talk about artificial general intelligence the ability for computers to recognize themselves and update their own criterias of knowledge um, mm -hmm. that's already kind of here like the singularity is here so i think you know, I, I think a lot of people who are trying to pinpoint this stuff to a certain person or an agent or a pedophilic elite or a this or a that, they're kind of mm -hmm. like, it's, I don't want to, it's kind of a cope because. Yeah. Pedophilic elite's real though, bro. That, that shit's real. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it is real. It, it's real, but it's also kind of a limited hangout to, to distract people from this larger, uh, from this larger faceless question. You know, people are so used to faces, you know, and they're mm -hmm. longing for faces because they want to remember. Like, uh, I think a big reason why people go and they're so interested in, you know, retreading, whether it's like 2000 indie sleaze culture or it's, you know, I don't know, like there's these trend cycles and they keep repeating themselves and, you know, one second it's another thing. Now the strokes are popular again. I, I don't get it. Are they really? I, yeah, they're, that's like a, a that's cool hilarious. thing. That's like a cool <laughs> thing now. Um, so I don't know. To me, it's almost just like, what do you make of all of this? Like, I, I want to ask you guys. I, I, I... Well, you said rhizomatic, which is interesting because, yeah. I like positing this whole thing as a kind of uh, archonic mushroom intelligence, right? right. Uh, thinking of like Terrence McKenna saying, you know, the problem with a UFO crash is knowing when you actually have one. Um, he said that in relation to, you know, the kind of panspermia, you know, mushroom came here on an asteroid and, you know, kind of created intelligent life as we know it. But like, the the next ufo crash could have just been you know the invention of the calculator and we didn't even know that we had it when that happened the thing that popped in my head was like when uh like when god appears in the bible you're supposed to look away because to like to see would just to be too much and it's not the um it, it's not the focus of the the creator that is the issue anyways it's what you're going to get from it and that's kind of like in the in the movie i think they deal with that in the way that like the people control like experimenting on the cyborgs and shit like sure they're in some position of power where they like can snatch these people up and do this these weird experiments on them but they're like bumbling idiots and yeah, that's a good point yeah they don't really have a clear agenda besides <laughs> besides busting a nut basically so then it's the the human response to like being affected by that is you you just have to deal with this metamorphosis now and it's not really 
the biggest issue isn't isn't that like projecting blame or not to say it's uh forgivable but like you said it's a it's it's a limited hangout it's like what okay but what do you do now like there's a causality to everything like we've gone so far down the hill with the wrecking ball that like it, it's just coming now so it's there's no use in pointing up and being like it was them they kicked it down it's yeah. like well there are worse things in life dude there are worse it. things in life than being a brainless sex slave i guess if you think about it it brings up you know kafka's metamorphosis and that you know it's like you become a brainless sex slave and then like the main character gregor you know he kind of neglects his family uh you know be turning into this monstrosity um there's a time when it, it could almost be seen as a liberatory thing because you were sort of freed from this social constraint but now it's almost like this integration has replaced the social itself it's almost like nfts and art like this is the first time where we've seen an artistic medium actually be fused with the construction of a speculative financial apparatus itself yeah. and we're seeing that kind of replicate itself with the human as well so it, it, it's you know it, it, the whole when you bring up metamorphosis that's a really good point yeah isn't there technology out there now where i feel, I feel like i heard this on other life or something where like the like a person themselves could become kind of an object of financial speculation like you could get you could sell oh it was with your own coin right like you can mint your own coin and people can invest in you and the value of your coin as your you know brand. social or financial capital brand right as it as that gets better that's kind that of did, that fucking did. scary dude yeah, that didn't work out so well. I, I remember none of this shit works out like that, though. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. They all, like the archons are doomed to to fail, right? I like that terminology a lot because it's just you know this catch-all for these robot overlord type people. But it's because it's it's always hubris that gets them in the end. It's the reinvention of the vending machine as an app, right? Like they always take it. It's the fucking dumbass monkeys smoking cigarettes that that people look at and aesthetically. Uh, feel revulsion towards and that's that's always what happens they always put their foot in their mouth and take it just one step too far that's that's interesting you use the term archon that's a gnostic concept it is <laughs> it is yeah, yeah. it's a rulers yeah. within the realm of the kingdoms of darkness yep. and uh you know it, it's kind of funny because you know these kind of keepers of the fire of this sort of uh promethean urge that basically has taken its power from Zeus and made its own. It's like you see it and it manifests itself as like Mark Zuckerberg playing cards in the metaverse with a squid and another guy, you know, <laughs> looking at his fucking phone and people wonder why they lost all this fucking money in the stock market. Oh, that was you know, great. Maybe, like, it's so funny because the people who are developing these technologies that are seemingly running themselves are like the most autistic, socially unavailable, uh, just backwards, retarded people who have no idea what anybody wants. So what they're trying, it's almost like they're trying to remove themselves 
from the decision-making process by by using this kind of almost like ham-fisted scientific method of selecting things based on a certain criteria of data that just cannot account for the human experience no matter what people say uh, so i mean you see it all of the time i mean they're just these data junkies and people become so addicted to this idea of you know how do we use data data has become this superfluous catch-all term for knowledge wisdom it, when it's mm -hmm. really just a bunch of fucking abstract numbers people have put together based on a criteria a set of construals that they select for usually the selection is really bad because these people just have horrible fucking tastes like I don't, I don't, like, I don't want the guy who thinks the fucking monkey JPEG smoking weed is gonna set the criteria that, you know, uh, creates and selects for the entire human experience. Like, that's just not gonna fly for me, but... Yeah. Yeah. Calvin? Yeah, and I, I think the human experience of this moment is one more of that metamorphosis that synthesizing rather than a this linear struggle between going backwards or going forwards where it's like uh people just on the elon musk bandwagon or everything is good we should embrace every kind of progress or the people on the other like end of that spectrum who are like we need to take it back like we need to scale humanity's progress back a little bit it's like you know, once again, the ball is already going down the hill. It's more like the human, the spiritual, the artistic reaction is more to like not go either of those ways necessarily, but you know, a, a big separation between humans and most animals is the ability to adapt and change like physically and ideologically in a way that we can survive and thrive in like all different kinds of climates and uh eras and it it's just like how do we do that now mm. and i think it's i think that brings me to I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this director because he's so uh kind of cagey and nobody really knows what he's been up to he took a break he made a sequel to this movie and then he took a break for about 10 years and he made two short films, and then he doesn't do anything after that. And in I read this interview with him, and all of his answers are these very simple, kind of one line. Uh, you know, how did you do this? He's like, well, I grabbed a camera and I went out and I started shooting. And they're like, who are these actors? The the main guy, Pinocchio, is uh, he's a farmer now, right? He was a farmer, and then he went and helped his buddy out to make this movie, and then he went back to being a farmer. And nobody knows what happens to the homeless, what happened to the homeless girl in this movie. Like she kind of just disappeared. And he compares the filmmaking process of Pinocchio to having a band where they weren't necessarily specifically filmmakers, but they were kind of a troupe of, of performance artists and people who kind of, you know, just sort of made this stuff, right? And when he's asked about his specific influences, the only influence that he'll talk about is Robert Fripp from King Crimson. That's the only person really? he says. Yeah, that's the only person he says inspired some of the sound, him. Some of the soundtracks have that Frippertronics kind of 
thing going right. on. It's like arpeggiated well, sounds and yeah. And well, he he said he took specifically. I guess Fripp has a concept called uh, the 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 grading the grading factor or something like that. Uh, where I'm not sure. I I looked all online to try to find out what the grading factor is. I don't know if that's a musical term or if it's grading in terms of dissonance or or what really. But yeah, he he basically what I'm trying to get at with all of this, right? Like all this kind of talk about, you know, spirituality and technology and, and you know, it being this, you know, fake human faceless monster that is just eating everybody. I, I can't help but think that, you know, the actual 964 Pinocchio movie is sort of a response to that in general, right? You know, it's people out there uh, making this movie with, with no permits, one of the most fascinating things about yeah. this whole film is that I wondered how they got away with that and like the market when she's just clanging yeah. the chains to you know to build that machine of herself and to build the right. kind of shackles that she puts on Pinocchio and it's just like right. chain it's it, it's kind of crazy it's the it, it's almost like brings to this thing where it's like culturally the Japanese are just so unaffected by things that they could totally just see this kind of thing going down in a subway uh, you know of this like cyberpunk with this little tuft of hair uh -huh. you know, being dragged around and just completely ignore it basically at the time I guess performance art was really big in Shinjuku where they shot this so I guess people were sort of used to this but oh, in, that, that in that like scene close to the end where Pinocchio is running through the streets with the, the pyramid chained to him and he's kind of running into crowds of people and they're running away that's just people being like get this fucking freak away from me right like he's actually just kind of doing that and I don't know, man, that spirit is really, you know, I've, I've friends with and talked to a lot of people who make independent film and they seem to be really kind of stuck in this idea of, you know, well, we have to have a craft service table and we have to make sure that everybody's a, a member of, you know, SAG or whatever. I don't know the terminology, but like you look at Tsukamoto's movies like Iron Man and, and all these other ones. And then you look at this and I wonder, like, wh why don't people just go out and and make stuff. I feel like part of breaking the the kind of shackles, I guess, that we're that we've been talking about is like getting outside of this art making consensus that we've all seemed to agree upon. You want to make something, just make it. You want to tear down a wall, you just get a hammer. You want to make a movie, you pick up a camera. Like, yeah, I I was having a a conversation about this with with somebody like recently actually like an ex-girlfriend and she's like well i want to make movies but i only like grandiose grandiose movies and that costs a lot of money and i'm looking for funding and this and that and it it does cost a lot of money to make a movie i mean <laughs> even movies that look incredibly low budget it you're still looking at like with finishing costs licensing everything i mean you're still looking at like over a hundred k so I mean, granted, it's not quite as cheap, and it's definitely not easy. I mean, I've only worked on one movie in my life, but um, the production side of things is incredibly involved, you know? But I do agree that everybody has to have this kind of, like, hands-on attitude, especially at this level, which kind of does make it feel like a truth. 
You know, it's like you can tell that these people spend a lot of time together. Um, or else you just wouldn't have that connection. Uh, it, but I do agree that people should start making things just because they feel like doing it. You don't need any reason. You don't need any... Like, I just... It's kind of it's kind of been a cool time too because in so many ways like these legacy institutions just look so pathetic to everybody that you can really get away with a lot more than ever before just because there's an actual you know people actually want it you know there's an actual need for it there's such an empty space for anything that seems outside of just this consensus so yeah no that's that's a good point yeah everybody who i've talked to has the whole you know like movies are expensive thing and i get it and i know i'm just kind of talk i've never made a movie so so i don't know but like for example i did a reading last week with this uh troupe of estonian performance artists called non grata and they were fucking they're just crazy people you know every time they get together they light something on fire somebody gets branded you know i walked this Oh, this was down the street from where I live in uh, in oh, Norman. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, my buddy, my best friend since we were in like sixth grade, uh, he fell in with these guys and actually went to Estonia to do to put on performances with these guys. But like the first time I saw them, they were dressed up like characters from Mad Max and they were blowtorching a pig head and somebody dressed as Jesus got branded on his back. Uh, somebody always gets branded. And so like I walk into this place where I'm reading and there's a, a mannequin body with a, a cow's jawbone sticking out of the neck and they're shooting it with BB guns and they have a giant banner on the wall that says sex. And I was like, well, this is definitely, this is the weirdest place that I've ever read. This beats like coffee shops and shit. But like, you know, you take those, those guys and these are, you know, these are older kind of, you know, established dudes, especially in like the Estonian art world, right? And, you know, you just kind of like, make a loose little Pinocchio style plot around those dudes and then just watch them, you know, eat their own vomit and light things on fire and boom, you have a movie. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I like the idea of mass action. I, I, I like the idea of performance art. A lot of people say, well, why would you, why would you want to bring this like, you know, frivolous like action kunst work you know german fluxes shit back like what's the point of this it's like look we are living in a totally post-rationalist time where the reason you have to do something like again i hate to say this but a lot of people who are kind of on the you know based adjacent right like they still think you can make appeals to reason and that's just a that's such cope like you just really can't you just the only reason you need to do something is because you feel like doing it that's it but the thing that i think about a lot too is like you need to sort of be aware or be in contact with that consciousness of memory because that's the thing that gives you that kind of revolutionary consciousness that it takes to actually do something interesting or different so it, it's it's a really weird thing that's that i've been noticing where people again it's like 
I don't know. It's like these movies, they just, they seem to understand this thing. Like, it, it's really weird to me, too, because she's, like, eating her own vomit. And it just, when he, when he starts really metamorphosizing, too, and he's just in all this pain, and there's this, like, H.R. Uh, Geiger alien hand that kind of sprawls up, and the way that the, the smoke flashes, it's like, you can be very, very extreme. It's totally okay. Uh, but what? at what point do you think it starts to have a bad effect on people? Like, you know, just mentally and internally. Because I know you guys are like family guys. I don't know. This kind of felt like a family film, though. Like, uh, I, I think a lot of arts functionality and i mean here i go reasoning with shit when i was just like nodding along to everything you were saying about there being no reason but like if art does have a constant functionality at least for the artist i think it's as like a pressure release valve and i could see a lot of that as a uh i mean there's a lot of parallels with parenthood like in this film with like when she's caring for or pretending to care for uh, Pinocchio yeah. in the beginning. I know he it's... reminded me of the kid when he was like <laughs> crawling up to her and, and making those like weird mouth mouth uh, movements and shit. I was like, oh, I recognize that. Along with irrationality comes a bit of irresponsibility too, uh, by nature, I think, which it's a, a juncture where you have to, you have to be able to separate a little bit, I guess and that this is curating a, a vibe it's right it's building a cage because that's what art is is building a cage that's so it. you're trapping all of this and in, in, inside and doing sort of a banishment ritual it might even be for the for the society's purpose for you and people around you like uh for your own mental purpose as well it might even be more responsible to be as extreme and unfiltered and unhinged with art as as you possibly could that's a that's an interesting point i definitely think that uh i don't know i just kind of see it as like what is missing in the world and where can we sort of where like what can we impart on this void and right now to me it just seems like it's all been everything has become so fucked up you know just on it's just it's i don't know like i personally believe that if you're doing things that are seen as uncouth like you can be rewarded in some way through finding a new community through like there are so many new opportunities now that there just weren't you know four years ago we were totally in the stasis of of the old world and these kind of like old preconceptions about the world but the new world has kind of arrived so like what are we going to do to you know step up to the plate and to actually sort of embrace this new world that's actually taking place 
I think that what's majorly missing, and this goes back to the art question, because Kelby hit the nail on the head when he said that art is this cage that you can put all these, all this negativity, positivity, life experience, emotion, what have you, right? In the ritual space of the, the film or the book or whatever, because, you know, I, for one, definitely believe that images have power, whether it's, you know, Picatrix, oh, yeah. image magic style or the McDonald's logo. Like it's always doing something to you all the time. Right. So that's not something to be taken lightly. But at the same time, what we really lack, I think, now is a sense of banishment rituals for all these kind of things. And I think that that's in every like sort of element of our lives. Right. Like, is there a proper banishing ritual for when you log off of Twitter where you can just kind of slough off all that bullshit that you've been scrolling for an hour? Or is there like a banishment ritual when you walk out of a movie theater or, you know, just, you know, you mentioned all these kind of uh, psychic and physical things that start to weigh us down over time. And I think it's just like, we don't have a, an accurate uh, mm. framing of putting things into a ritual space and then being able to step out of that ritual space and a hundred percent i i a hundred percent agree with that and it's like uh walter benjamin's notion of the dialectical image is very much the kind of main way we perceive images today which is whether it's scrolling it's the montage of the images that basically remain uh untethered within our heads even when we log off we see things as these assemblages of, of seemingly unconnected things that we sort of, that are filtered uh, through these processes of uh, the machine selecting what it wants us to see. So it's basically like we, we experience things through this assemblage of these technical images that then start to present a certain history to us. So it, it so and, and that has an incredibly fragmenting effect because, like you said, we need that ritual, that object constancy, as they say in, like, narcissistic language of uh, studying narcissism, for example. Like, narcissists lack a, a relationship to stationary, stable objects, um, which is kind of why I think it's really important to bring, bring these physical things back out into the world. I think making CDs, I think forcing people to consume media that basically breaks up this, the de facto way of consumption, which is the, it's just like a montage like construction of images, I think is really, really important because that's what actually grounds us, our relationship to time. And yeah. we don't have a relationship to time anymore which is why we don't remember anything, which is why people don't finish books anymore. And it's not some, I don't think this is some like trad argument I'm making because it's actually how we experience history. And, you know, and the fact that we're actually imprisoned by this, you know, endless barrage of technical images and, and dialectics and discourse and data I think that we need to find a way to sort of distill and synthesize all of that shit into one place so that mm -hmm. we can actually have relationships again. Because if we can't have a relationship to objects in a constant way, 
how are we going to treat other people? Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, we're just exactly. going to further, we're going to displace the object with the person and treat them as objects themselves. So people are becoming more objectified actually as a result of us losing our relationship to objects that ground our our sense of of time and space exactly and what you were talking about with the uh you know the algorithmically charged images yeah i sent you that uh that cool little essay on yeah uh, i read that ice, ice piss it's cool right because yeah it, basically, it reminded me of, of walter benjamin a bit yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, there's this idea of pure movement that the algorithms are trying to achieve, which is kind of making it so that every image you see on your feed, on your scroll, right, uh, is not um, upsetting or alarming or really interesting in any way because it creates a flow that you can then enter into for the purposes of data collection and shit like that. But, like, one of the points that that article made that I thought was really interesting was comparing addiction to social media to anorexia uh, yeah. and basically the idea of feeding and binging and all this kind of shit. And the point that it made that I thought was really cool was that in the anorexic's mind, like the anorexic desires to desire food, but actually finds food disgusting. Um, and then, so like the idea put onto content consumption is that you have the desire to desire interesting content, but you actually then subconsciously find the, the, the good content itself is somehow abhorrent because it interrupts your flow of pure movement through this space, right? So mm. I'm thinking in terms of like banishing rituals and, you know, to my mind the only circuit breaker then that really works is a movie like 964 pinocchio which is disgusting and irrational and surreal and loud and obnoxious like when the content itself becomes disgusting you throw a wrench in the in the gear of desiring desire and maybe you can actually want to read a book again or something like that something that just mm. like snaps people out of it it's kind of like they say you know nietzsche said this that the last man which we we associate with the bugs and and the people who want to eat the bugs and the getting in the pod you know the sort of bored man the man at the end of history might actually be awakened reawakened by being confronted with the consciousness of his own boredom so if people yeah. can be shown right how in 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 sort of regain a sort of consciousness about their own alienation which is i think you see in a lot of quote-unquote anti-capitalist discourse this idea of marxian alienation which i think is a makes a i don't think that's wrong at all i think that's a hundred percent right capitalism is incredibly alienating uh to an extent that i i don't think the left have had any productive solutions to this problem, nor have the right as well. Um, but I really do think that if people can awaken themselves to this conscious understanding that I am incredibly bored, they are going to force me to drink Soylent, uh, they are going to get me gigavaxed and, you know, put fucking 40 needles in me. If I don't reawaken this sort of revolutionary consciousness about 
um, collective autonomism and collective action. And this is this is why, uh, as far as left wing movements go, I mean, I, I like the Italian stuff a lot because it was all about this sort of collective autonomy against the state that you almost kind of see like connections between that and like QAnon or something like that. And I think, and there's nothing rational about it. They're just basically like, we act because we want to act. It's just pure volunteerism. And so, no, that, that's a really good point you guys are bringing up. I think that's, I think that's really, that's, that's good stuff, man. Sorry, I'm just kind of no, like. Good. No, it's, it's uh, my dad sent me a Q meme. My dad sends me all sorts of Q shit, like pretty oh, much every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the new Q meme is that apparently uh, Facebook losing $240 billion was, was foretold in the Q Oracle. So my dad really? is fucking. My dad is psyched right now because the plan has been trusted, and shit is going down. So, I just I know about it secondhand, but I don't know. He he, he seems happy about it. Like he he likes it. It's a nice little uh, group that he's a that he's a part of. He's an ex military guy. So oh, you man, know that's great. I mean, it's just it's weird to me. Like <laughs> my dad. I love QAnon. Yeah, dude. Like my dad, like he hates the government, you know, because he worked for the military and all this kind of stuff. But like, uh, he's just so into the into the Q shit, you know. And he's, you know, my siblings don't pay any attention to him, but he and I have really, uh, really bonded over, you know, conspiracy theory and Alex Jones and uh, and Q, because it's just it's fucking cool. It's cooler than reading the news, I think. Well, Alex Jones has been really on fire lately because oh, yeah. he's uh again he's kind of been awoken to this consciousness that we can't locate uh there isn't this group of you know satanic elites he's very you know getting into the cybernetic details of things like for him it's very much this war of man versus machine and I fuck with it and and i'm more interested in that but yeah it's and a lot of the things I think about, too, is this inner dialectic that we have to satisfy. It's like the master-slave dialectic has become turned inwards, you know? It's like we're, you know, we hand ourselves the whip so that we can whip ourselves and force ourselves to act on behalf of this sort of headless, faceless, uh, sort of nebulous organizing principle that's, again, this empty thing you know it's this advancement of this active advancement of nothingness and yeah when you also the thing with the uh with anorexic browsing it, it kind of makes you think about the fact that cutting and self-harm are on the rise you know because we browse so anorexically that you see a lot of women from a young age they start to cut themselves you know because it's the only way self-harm is kind of the affirmation of aliveness it's the way the narcissist the self-obsessive affirms that they're actually living because of this it, it, it becomes this really strange thing it's almost similar to a selfie in a sense yeah yeah you can cut yourself or you could you know get tattoos on your face does that sound familiar kilby yeah i mean i've done both of those things uh, <laughs> What's it like having face tattoos? It's kind of like just wearing a t-shirt now. Uh, 
if I knew this was the era that I was going to live in, then I wouldn't, then I would go back and just not get any tattoos at all because I, I was coming from more of a reactionary uh, sort of um, abrasive place with getting tattoos, starting to get ugly tattoos at an early age. And it, it's more like a, more like a fashion statement now it feels like tattoos are probably the most meaningless thing that you can do these days but you'd but have to keep you'd have to keep the one that we got together kelby and i got I would, really yeah. whiskey drunk like 10 years ago it was a long time ago we got really whiskey drunk and my buddy eric that same guy uh he tattooed he freehanded a dinosaur on kelby's arm and he gave me a skull smoking a blunt that says death to enemies on my arm which are forever like the two worst but also best tattoos that i've ever seen so you would have no tattoos but you would keep our friendship tattoo yeah absolutely <laughs> and my my son loves that tattoo also he's always like <laughs> lifting up my arms where's the dinosaur the dinosaur wow <laughs> that's awesome yeah i i got my first and last tattoos when i was 18. I got two and I was done with it. I think it was because I, it feels so good that I, I just knew I would get addicted to it. And I was just like, yeah, I can't, I can't get addicted to this. Yeah, it, it is definitely a body um, modification. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a weird one. I mean, again, it's a, it's something we can't really, you know, you can't really fight against it. No, but you can call it weird. I, I, I reserve the right to call some of that shit really <laughs> yeah, fucking weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, who are those twins who died of COVID with, like, the, what are they, oh, Armenian or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, that shit looks fucking weird, you know? And I feel like we should, I feel like we should be allowed to just call things weird. I remember when I was, uh, you know, just out of high school, like, early 2000s, and my, you know, clique or my friend group or whatever was a group of you know body mod people tattooed like fucking weirdos you know yeah but you could just say like hey man that's fucking that's weird and i want to i want to return to that i'm trad in that way of like you do whatever you want with your body it's none of my business right i reserve the right to say like god man uh, not not for me but okay yeah of course <laughs> i mean that's that's how it has to be i mean you want any but we also need a right to silence and i think yeah part of the problem now is that people are forced into having to talk they're forced into having to say something and so part of part of the sort of grotesquely liberating element of these dialogueless movies like 964 pinocchio is that it is that you're as you become further and further and closer to this machine this metamorphosis you also you know you get you it almost seems like you you gain some sort of solace in this fact that you don't have to talk anymore i mean i i don't know how it is for you guys because you guys have podcasts but don't you ever get tired of expressing your own language do you ever get uh, tired of that because i really do that's why i'm not a big tweeter i don't really tweet as much as other people just because that 
also it's like I want to save some for the oral tradition. You know, I think I, I think that's you know, text has become so technologized and I think that's why podcasts are actually a good thing is because it's bringing people back to that 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 oral space that had, you know, uh it it had developed alongside textual systems for so long within every kind of religious and civilizational framework and that's been so lost you know this idea of having a conversation and things mm -hmm. being transmitted through conversation and so and people say oh well this is all just passive listening garbage blah 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 friend simulator well that's important too <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, what's wrong with a friend simulator? I don't have, I have a kid. I don't have any fucking friends. Like, <laughs> where else am I gonna get social interaction from? But no, I mean, like, yeah, with the, um, with the podcast thing, that is, you know, Kobe and I are both writers, but you know, it's kind of hard for me to find uh, fiction that I enjoy reading recently, just because. Uh, well, number one, I mean, I've just been in publishing for so long that I'm a little jaded about the whole thing. But like, mm. also, yeah, you published a lot. I've published a lot. Yeah, I had a run. I had a good run. It was fun. But the um, the whole thing is just that now when I read stuff, I kind of I know how the sausage is made because what I, I do for work, uh, how I actually make money is by, you know, uh, doing developmental edits on on novels. So I, I know how the structure of these things work really well. And it's all too because of that, I think it's all too uh predictable and simple for me and with podcasts there's just a well it's rough you know i mean like we didn't rehearse this we're not you know reading off a script to each other and there's something that's interesting about that and also i mean about movies like the one that we just watched you know where it, it feels like there's an element to it of feeling like you know that they're kind of making it up as they go along <clears throat> and that's one of the main things i think is like missing from the written word right now is that everybody you know equivocates within an inch of their life it feels like you know people have a gun to their head which is something i told my wife and tweeted the other day but like it it feels like um you know everybody's really scared like i know a bunch of writers uh who have come to me in the past five years pretty much since trump got elected and they've told me like man you know i wanted to really i wanted to write this book you know but like it's got wiggers in it and I feel like I'll get in trouble if I write about it. And like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very strange climate for that. So like for me personally, and I'm sure Kelby can, can add on to this, but like podcasts just feel a bit less polished and a bit more uh, free of, in terms of expression, I guess you could say. Well, that's sort of what I've been trying to like put into the writing as well is that sort of, a uh, sloppy uh, first draft quality to rebel against that machine that is just like uh, ju just so like empirical and so narcissist you want to talk about narcissists like throw a rock at any writer meditation on the well, self what, well what kind of writer because obviously i think auto fiction is incredibly narcissistic and self-indulgent <laughs> but there are also writers of the outside. And I think part of the amazing thing about art and writing, and actually one of the main interests for me in a lot of like theory shit and philosophy 
is it's a it's a it's a meditation in the outside. These are all concepts that are searching for otherness, and that's kind of what makes me happy. Is like I don't want to think about myself. I have a really hard time thinking about myself, and you know, the other day, just yesterday, I was like with my girlfriend, and I was thinking about like some part of my life that I had just completely forgot about you know and it was mm -hmm. a really chaotic time in my life where I was like kind of like working for the hell's angels I was getting shot at a lot like just shit just really fucking crazy shit and you know it it was weird it was like yeah, I want I want to remember other people's stories. I don't want to think about my own. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like who is that guy? When you think back on some of this shit, you're like that. That wasn't. Well, you're even... a sober guy too, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you know what it's you get it. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh man. No, it's. I mean, I think the biggest issue is when I remember things in the past. I'm overwhelmed with um, cringe in a really bad way. Uh, just, you know, for some reason you can be completely blackout drunk, but somehow the memory of the worst shit that you said and did <laughs> sticks with you forever. It's really a demonic entity that, that people should stay away from. But I mean, I mean, I don't know, dude, I think with, uh, when Kelby was talking about, you know, just sort of like the narcissism, I, for one, am always here for writer slander. I love it. I think it's great. And I think it's healthy. Um, but like, I, you know, it's obviously it's a, it's a mixed bag. I think that you get, uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned auto fiction, which I think really kind of reached its peak with, uh, canals guard. Like, I, f I feel like it's done yeah. now. Like you can't yeah, really, yeah. after book six of my struggle, like you can't really go anywhere with it. Cause he, he got about as close as you can get to that literally just automatic writing of, of whatever's going on during the day. But, um, as far as, looking for things on the outside. I mean, I know that you had, uh, old dude, um, the expat guy, uh, you had him on, on contain and yeah. you know what, what those guys are doing is really cool. And there, there are, of course, there are always going to be these pockets of people who are kind of interested in the same things that we are. But I just, I think that like, um, you don't necessarily have to be writing about the self literally to be to be writing about the self right or right right writing a kind of uh you know genre genre piece that play by all plays by all the rules to kind of realize some fantasy you had when you were 17 and re reading stephen king and thinking about signing autographs at a signing table you see what i mean so like there's a especially now that's yeah. true i mean that was a uh, paul demand insight about autobiography uh, like the autobiography you know, as soon as you put your name on something, you've essentially created an autobiographical work, in a sense. And, and so it's 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 really hard to to deintegrate those things. You know, like the again, and it comes back to this another thing of like how we process images, how we process information, and how it's changing. You know, it's like uh, you can't be a Bronze Age warrior when you scroll the timeline. Like, it's just not <laughs> yeah. possible. Like, you're not the same person. You don't have the same temporality as that person. 
you would have to be a completely ignorant person who lives in a hut in order to approximate anything like that. Like you, like the people just don't give enough credit to how we've been colonized by technology. I, I think you've diagnosed a lot of the issues really well. I'm interested to to hear about you know some of your thoughts about where some antidotes maybe you know like what like what do you, what would you suggest i mean we've talked about making art um is there kind of like a a manifesto that you've got cooking in there or something to you know i av- i'm avoid working this on a shit i'm working on a comedy philosophy book with alex beanstalk about the so omni cringe uh yeah so i i'm trying to break into this this new genre of of theory fiction but it's comedy based so uh it's gonna have a lot of jokes in there um you know i think the way that we break out of this problem is again reestablishing some sort of consistent relationship to an object that grounds us in in time uh, that, that grounds our relationship to time as something that unfolds and isn't just, you know, this weird chaotic miasma of lights and uh, images and assemblage, you know, that, we, mm-hmm. that we've grown so accustomed to. I think that's a really good thing, finishing whole books. Um, I think being absurd so that you don't become captured. I think absurdity is a really good way because you mm-hmm. can never, you, you never want to be too identifiable. Like, I think that's kind of, if, if, if I've done anything correctly and you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, I, you know, you try to amend them, but, but whatever. I think it's that I've just remained incredibly open and curious about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think curiosity is is really what sets you free in the end. I don't think, I I, I think, I just, I just don't see there being any solution that's rooted in anything other than seeking something outside of yourself, you know. And that's what curiosity mm-hmm. does, and it's an, it's and it's contagious too. So I think being curious curious is a really really important thing. I think. Playing with absurdity is a really important thing. Uh, you know, I, I just think making art is a really important thing. A- and, you know, just a, maybe just don't look at certain things. I, it's always good to forget <laughs> certain things, yeah. too. Like, there's, there's right. things that I learn that I'm always trying to forget. I'm, like, just purging my brain of this stuff. And so meditation helps me do that. It helps me to forget the things that I'm supposed to forget and remember the things that I want, that I need to remember. And, and you know, so far, so good. I mean, I'm not going to lie. These past two years have probably been the best years of my entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's basically because uh, the conditions had created a, a certain climate in where... Um, people who are looking for these things can actually you know they're actually needed because a lot of people they don't they're just not that interest you know they're just not that interested in other things 
you know, and, and to always be interested in other things, having a love of knowledge, I think, or, or a love of wisdom, or a love of all of this amazing shit that's been produced in the world, instead of just, you know, resting on these endless intersections. Of, I think that's I think that's a positive thing that people. I, I don't know. Like I don't personally feel. I feel great. So. <laughs> Yeah. 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 The um the object in relation to time is really cool. I don't know if you've seen the Golden Incenabe installation that they're gonna do starting in twenty twenty five. It's called uh Spruce Time and they, they took the oldest tree in the world, which is a spruce in Switzerland, I wanna say, which basically over the past ten thousand years has been able to reproduce through cloning itself. So they cloned the tree and they're putting it in a glass bubble in a train station, uh, I think in Malmo or Malmo. I, forget the, oh, I don't wow. know how you pronounce that shit. But like, you know, all things aside about, I don't know, putting a train or a tree in the middle of a train station. I think that that's uh, pretty interesting to have this relic of deep time uh, positioned in a space of transit, right? Uh, so more right. stuff like that maybe might be, I might be cool little reminders. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Kelby, you got any final thoughts on on Pinocchio? Any anything you want to shout out before we shut her down? The I, I like the little when they call somebody an idiot or a bastard or something. There's no censorship of language, but there were several times where they insulted somebody, and there was like a or or yeah, yes. like a weird yeah. yeah yeah. That shit was funny. I like the line when when he's like. We make old women with play with their fucking big titties to, in a, a yeah. something like that, where it's something <laughs> like we're bringing them ple- like endless pleasure, uh, yeah. kind of thing. That that was pretty funny. Yeah, the line is. Uh, I actually I took a screenshot of it, so let me just see this real quick. The line is, uh, <laughs> "I give old ladies with big tits a blow of sexual shock." That's a banger. That That's is. A good one. <laughs> really good <laughs> uh barrett thanks a lot man i uh i love the podcast and everything you're doing so just appreciate your time and thanks for recommending this movie man it's great yeah likewise it's it, it a lot of fun to talk about this so yeah keep it up i i like what you guys are all about so this is fun short cool. fun good time absolutely really appreciate you Happy birthday to you.